Well, many, many years ago when we first uh, got fellowship off the ground, uh, we started having a men and boys breakfast and New Year's, first Saturday of the New Year, just to encourage one another, to remind each other that by God's grace, if we can live for the Lord and serve the Lord together in the church for another year, we want to be the men that God wants us to be. Everybody needs help to keep on doing right, don't we? And so this breakfast has been a good time, and kind of the, the foundation to it is simply for the men and boys of Fellowship Bible Church to get together on the first Saturday of the new year and be challenged to live for Jesus for 2011. That's our goal. I was trying to think who to bring in to challenge us, and I thought of my good friend Greg Alderman. Uh, this is one of my best friends in the whole world, even though we're hardly ever together. Um, but he's one of those friendships that goes way back to my college days. We have many, many good times together and good stories to share, and I'll spare you all of that. But uh, Greg is one of those kinds of friendships, and I'm sure you have some where you can be absent from one another for a year, even two years at a time, when you maybe just email a little bit, talk on the phone a little bit. When you get together, you just pick up where you left off. There's that complete love and trust and, uh, and no level of expectation, a totally grace-based relationship. And uh, I just dearly love Greg Alderman, his wife, Dreema. The Lord blessed him with two children. He's got Judd. Judd's on a missions trip in India right now. He's in a pre-med program at Concord, uh, down by Princeton, down by Bluefield. Uh, he's an outstanding young man, can bench press more than almost anybody in this room, and uh, just a great guy in a pre-med program down there. He's got a, a great daughter, Aubrey, with a beautiful singing voice. They're all musicians. Uh, Aubrey's a speech therapist and lives back up here in Berkeley County now. About a year and a half ago, uh, Greg and Dreema left a ministry in Abingdon, Virginia, where he was an associate pastor for over 15 years, had a very effective ministry. Greg is uh, a sought-out camp and conference speaker as well. And uh, God led him to a little, Bible, a little Bible church in Jaredstown in Back Creek Valley, the central chapel there, at a time when they were in need of leadership. And uh, uh, Greg you know, just felt of the Lord to, to accept their call. And I think it's been a great fit, hasn't it, from all indications. In fact, I'm remiss in not welcoming um, Eric Dunham and his boy Cole. Wave your hand there, Eric. He came along to drive his pastor. And uh, Eric's a good friend for many, many years as well. And uh, we appreciate those guys being in here. Greg, it's great to have you with us. Love you. Some of you guys know Greg. He spoke at our men's retreat a year or so ago. He's a great storyteller, a great man of God. He loves the Word of God. Give him your undivided attention. I didn't think you were that big. And, uh, and <laughs> we welcome you. Challenge us, Greg. Thank you for your presence here today. Thank you. Come to think of it, that is a little tall. <laughs> That's all right. I searched all 33,188 scripture verses before I came this morning. Do you believe that? No. I was trying to find the verse or one passage that had the most testosterone in it for this breakfast because this is a room filled with testosterone. So I wanted to bring a testosterone-laden scripture to you, and I found one. I think it is the best one ever in scripture for men. It comes from the Apostle Paul, and he is talking to the people in the church of Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he develops a verse with four phrases. Now see if it gets any better than this. Here's what it says. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. 
Be men of courage. Be strong. Case closed. Film at 11. I love that verse. He's winding down his, his letter to the people of Corinth in his first letter, and, and he ends it with this challenge to men. Get a spine. Stand up. And when I read these verses and, and the scriptures around them and these four phrases, I am so challenged. And I wanted to bring some thoughts to you this morning about those four phrases from the most testosterone-laden verse I can find. The first one is be on your guard. And I ask the question, why, after each one of these phrases. And the reason we should be on our guard is because in today's day and age, there is no room for complacency. No room for complacency. Be alert, Peter said to his people as he was writing to them. Be alert. It's good you have the alert group here. And of sober mind. Why? Because your enemy... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is looking to tear and rip into men, because if he can do that, he can destroy the fabric of a society, he can destroy the fabric of a home, he can destroy the fabric of a church, and all Satan has to do to be good at that is ripping into men and causing them to be distracted or dissuaded or torn down or addicted or pushed away, or pulled away. All Satan has to do in order to do that is to sneak up on us, and if we're not alert, then that can happen. There was a time in which your pastor was alert. I thought of a story about Van Marceau from, from college. And there was a day, it was a glorious day, in which the power went off on campus. No, no one could prove it. I, I, it was by accident, it really was. The power was off. And uh, we thought we would ambush Van Marceau. Do you remember this van? And in, in McCarroll Hall, when the, when the lights were off, Van stayed on the lowest level of the dorm. It was appropriate that he was at the lowest level. And uh, down there in that, those basement, it was base, it's kind of like a basement. There was one side faced and got some light, but the other was just backed against the hill. It was dark. I mean, it was so dark down there that uh, it was just too good not to take advantage of. So this was back in the day. Now, you old guys will remember Instamatic cameras. Do you remember these that had the flash bulb on the top that would rotate? So me, Ricky Gerald, and John Cale decided we would ambush Van Marceau, predictably coming back from class. We, pressed, we dressed in white, like white long underwear and T-shirts. And there were some... There were against the wall, the, the, the hallway walls were painted in a, in a light color. And there were little outcroppings where you could hide in between. Just, just come out about 8 or 10 inches, and you could squish back in there and just be totally invisible. All right? And Van came from, from a bright, sunny day into a dark hallway. And we had our cameras. And when he got about 10 feet from us, we held out our cameras and clicked the flash totally blinding him and then we just jumped on him <laughs> just to see what he had and you know what Van Marceau even though he was totally blinded he fought like a man he gave us all we wanted we wrestled him down we couldn't keep him down he, was, he didn't know what was happening he thought aliens had come from outer space he couldn't see who he was fighting but he was giving it back 
I liked that. He was alert. He was alert. And if you're not alert, then it's easy for the evil one to sneak up on you and take you captive. When I was a teacher at Roanoke Valley Christian School, one of the great... Uh, one of the great traditions of the senior class was on the night of graduation, they would come and toilet paper the houses of the faculty. Fearing now, you know, of course, there's nothing to fear because you're graduated. What are they going to do? They can't expel you. They've already got their diploma. So it's free to toilet paper the teachers' houses. I had avoided it because we had lived quite a bit away from, uh, from the school. But we had moved closer into Roanoke, and I knew that that year I was targeted for toilet papering. And I had a plant in the senior class, Randy Womack. And I said, Randy, I'll give you an A if you give me a... No, I didn't say that. He, he had to earn his A. But I said, you let me know if they're coming, all right? You, you're my man. We're, you know, we're brothers here. So Randy said, Pastor Greg, they're coming to get you. They're coming to get you tonight. It's on. And I said, thank you. My wife had left to go to Charleston to be with her family and took our kids. I was alone in the house. And this was going to be my night to fight back for all of the faculty who had been toilet papered for years. This was the night. I got these special pressurized hoses from a, from a hardware dealer in our, that went to our church. And I turned on the hoses at my house and turned them all full blast and then duct taped them on so they couldn't be turned off. And I pulled those hoses through the windows of my house. And in 360 degrees around my house, we took windows out. I had a hose that I could get to anywhere. You know, I could drop one hose and run to the next place in my house and pick up another hose. It was the perfect setup. It was just, it was just meant to be by the will of God that this occurred. <laughs> and I waited. And I waited. It was 3 o'clock in the morning before these people showed up. But I wanted to be alert and ready. I sat in my living room looking through my living room window and watched them creep up the street. Oh, they were like little burglars. Hunched down into the shrubbery, carrying in their hands and under their armpits rolls of toilet paper that they mistakenly thought would decorate my house. And I was ready. I had my hose with the trigger thing. You know what I'm talking about? And I was backed up against the wall. <laughs> watching him come up. Ron Gary came up to the front and was decorating my holly bush. He was less than six feet away from my window. <laughs> I let him get started. I heard the giggles. I heard the whispers. And then all so quiet. the force of it blew him back <laughs> toilet paper rolls going into the air and he fell down the hill into the wet may grass and skidded no one moved no one knew what to do because you weren't supposed to make any noise he screamed and everyone looked around everyone froze which made them perfect targets from every window in my house Ran down the hallway and grabbed it out of my bedroom. I'm spraying him in the backyard, running to my daughter's room, spraying him out that side, coming to the side where they're decorating my car, open the door and just spray them all, close the door. They have no idea what's going on. 
slipping around, yelling, confused. It was perfect. And then they all backed away. At about 80 feet from my house, I could still get them. They found my range and just stood there, dripping, thinking what to do next. Until finally, they lost heart in that cool May middle of the night. And they went away, and I preserved my house. The only bad thing was I broke my ankle that night. Do you remember that? Coming out of the hallway, I stepped on a hose and rolled my ankle and broke it. A couple weeks later, I spoke at something at this rustic camp, and I was on crutches, and I was, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. There are things creeping up on a man's life. There are things that Satan is going to make sure that gets your attention. And if we are not alert, if we are not on our guard, then we will be toilet papered front and back, side to side, by the forces of evil. Guys, I think this is why the Apostle Paul said, we need to be alert, we need to be on our guard. In this day and age, there is no time for complacency. So he says, he goes on, he says, be on your guard, but then he says, stand firm in your faith. Why? Why did Paul say that? Well, just as there's no room for complacency, and we need to be on our guard, there's no room for doubt for today's men if you're going to follow Christ. And we need to be men of faith who stand firm in our faith. We must be men of belief and men who also act upon belief. Because I believe Satan is trying to do two things to men, as I see in a council with men within the context, context of the local church. And I believe the two biggest things that Satan does in the lives of men is one is he deceives them, and secondly, he distracts them. And if he can get men to believe what is not true, he can have a great impact and a destructive force in the life of a man. And if Satan can distract a man from things that are of no eternal value and pull him away into silly pursuits that yield nothing for eternity, then Satan will do that. I'm amazed at how passionate a man can be for a sports team and how dead and lackadaisical and just disinterested he can be about the God of the universe. A sports team. And then the God of the universe. Why would there be any lack of passion for the God of the universe unless someone was just totally distracted will follow with, with great fervency, batting averages and statistics but never would pick up the word of God you see if a man gets to that point then he has been distracted from the faith and from things that are of eternal value and I believe that's why Paul said it that way in 1 Corinthians earlier, he said this, just a chapter early. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm in the faith. Don't be moved. Now, that's a man concept. We can get that. To be able to stand for something and not be blown back to develop a spine and a, and a consistency and a fervency and a passion for something <clears throat> that you're not going to be pulled away from it. That's, a, that's something as men we can really sink our teeth into and understand. I look down through Scripture at people who, 
who stood and men of faith in the first few centuries when there was such great persecution from Nero and others that would put people to death because of their faith. I read in Fox's Book of Martyrs and I'm amazed at how these men and women did not back down but stood firm. There was no room for doubt in them. There should be none for us. One of the things I I read that I wanted to share with you was from a man named Polycarp, one of our brothers in the faith in the first century. And it says, after a brief respite here, this is from Fox's Book of Martyrs, the Christians again came under persecution, this time from Marcus Aurelius, and this was in the mid-first century, A.D. 61. One of those who suffered this time was Polycarp. He was a bishop in Smyrna. As he entered the stadium, this was the Colosseum, with his guards, a voice from heaven was heard to say. Now this was recorded by several witnesses. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Now think about that just for a minute. Play the man. In this verse in the King James, it's a kind of an odd saying, but it's quit ye like men. Quit ye like men. And a voice was heard that said, Polycarp, be strong and play the man. No one nearby saw anyone speaking, but many people heard the voice. Brought before the tribunal of the crowd, Polycarp refused to deny Christ, although the proconsul begged him to, and I quote, consider yourself and have pity on your great age. Reproach Christ and I will release you, the tribunal said. Polycarp replied, Eighty-six years I have served him, and never once has he wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Threatened with wild beasts and fire, Polycarp stood his ground and was then worried to death by those beasts and went to meet his master. Guys, that's the guy who played the man. He played the man. He was quit like a man. He did not back down in that old King James language. He stood up. He stood firm in his faith. He had nothing to be ashamed of. Stand firm in the faith. So the first thing we see, obviously be on your guard. Secondly, stand firm in your faith. The third phrase in this verse is be men of courage. That's the old quit ye like men. And it reminds me of what Paul also said to the, to the men and women of Ephesians when he said finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done all after you've done everything to stand. Be men of courage. Be men of courage. Why? Because there's no room for fear if we're going to be men who make a difference in this generation. We need to be men who can stand up even though it's difficult. Men who can stand up even though it's fearful. True courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to proceed in spite of it. When I was... A young man, and even now that I'm almost 50, there are still times I am very afraid, very afraid. Van told you that uh, coming in to take 
the leadership at Central Chapel, to me, is a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing to be a pastor. It's a fearful thing to have people come and look to you for answers. It's a fearful thing to handle the Word of God. And there are many times I'll confess that I wonder if God chose the right person. And I go into situations, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure where it's going to go. I'm not sure what the reaction is going to be. I'm not sure how things will respond. I'm not sure if someone will want to hit me or somebody will want to hug me. I just don't know. And sometimes I carry great fear into those situations. It gives me great comfort to know that courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to proceed in spite of being fearful. It started when I was a young man, and this was a great lesson, and I appreciate God teaching me this. Um, we were, uh, I went to Winfield High School, which is in uh, southern West Virginia, between Charleston and Huntington on Interstate 64. And there I had a great football coach. His name was Coach Leon McCoy, and he is uh, still working with students there in the weight room, even in his late 70s. Just a model of a man, a great believer, a great Christian. He passed on to me some wonderful things. One of the things was what to do when you're afraid. As you can see, I'm not, I'm not tall. I, I never was that great of an athlete. I was slow as Christmas. And, and, uh, and yet they, they had me playing tight end, and I, I needed to do a lot of blocking on the line against guys that were oftentimes bigger than me. There we were, one year we played Wayne County, and Wayne County was undefeated. They were 6-0. and We were 7-0, and so a lot was on the line for this particular game. I think it was in 1978. And uh, during, that, during that time, they had a tackle that was being recruited by WVU. He was uh, 6'5", 280, uh, and he looked bigger in uniform. Uh, with pads on and with a helmet, he looked like Goliath. And watching him on film before we played, he was going to be, they played a, sometimes a 5-3 and sometimes a 4-4 stack. When they were in 4-4 stack, he was head up on the tight end, this bohemoth of a man. And uh, I was scared. I was 5'7", you know, 175, 180, if I wore a belt, you know, and, and that was it. This guy weighed me by 100 pounds. I mean, this, he, was just a, he was just a monster. And I watched him on film, and he would come off the line, and he would just blow guys in the backfield. He would just own the people. And if they were in 4-4, sometimes there were certain plays I would have to block this guy. So we went to the game, and the, the Wayne crowd was just awful. We had to walk through out of the the dressing room through the crowd to get on the field. You could hear rocks and stuff pelting off of your helmet, and they made references to my mom, and, you know, and, uh, you know, it was just an awful, I mean, it was just an awful thing, and uh, it was terrible. And we got out on the field, and, you know, not a lot of people came from Winfield, and a lot of people came from Wayne County, and a lot was on the line, and we started playing. And little by little, we were gaining and getting a good foothold in the game, and we started to pull ahead of them. But in the late third quarter, we were driving, and we were deep inside their territory, and a, and a score would make it a, a three-possession game. They would have to have three possessions to catch up with us. And uh, we got down. We were about on the 30-yard line. It was too far to kick a field goal, but too short to punt. So it came on fourth down. And the whole time I was thinking, okay, Lord, please, just not I slot right 47. That's just, please don't have us run that play. Please don't let them be in a 4-4 stack if we do. 
but then all the planets aligned. And on fourth down, on about, uh, you know, the other team's 30, we were driving. Coach yelled in from the sideline, 47. And I looked to see if they, where they were lining up, how many guys were on the line. They were in a 4-4 stack. It's fourth and two. It's coming my way. Been running strong side all night. Now we're going weak side. In a five, I would double team the tackle, but now in a four-four stack, I gotta block this guy all by myself. The film is running. Everyone on the team will watch it on Monday morning. And I came to the line and I was praying. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's what I was thinking. My heart was in my chest. I looked at this guy. I'd been avoiding him most of the night. And he had tobacco spit dripping off of his face mask. He had this menacing look. Guy hadn't shaved, I guess, since morning. He had this big, you know, dark growth of beard peering out from me underneath that face mask. I'm pretty sure he said something to me that was derogatory, but I was too scared to even process it. I got down on my stance. I was thinking, oh, please, Lord, help him shift. Do something. And they didn't. The count started, and I knew I was just going to have to plow into this guy and give it everything I had. I had watched him on film and watched what he did to people like me, but I figured, oh, Lord, this is it. Here we go. Snapped the ball. I fired off on all my 175 pounds that I could throw into him. Made contact. Felt him go to the left. Felt him falling, and I landed on him. Ross Burks went around the end. Art Dolan kicked out the cornerback, and he went about 20 yards down inside the 10. It was a great play. First down goal, and we scored later on. I couldn't wait to get to see the film to see what happened. I didn't hit him that hard. I didn't drive him anywhere. I just fell on him. And what had happened was, as we came to the line, and I prayed, and the God of the universe heard me. And there two guys were confused. The two linemen came toward one another. One was slanting out, one was slanting in, and he went down. Barry Manier knocked his guy down, and my guy just took one step and tripped over his own player, and I just landed on him. It made me look like an All-American. Coach McCoy's going, out of way, Alderman. Out of way to block that big boy. I just fell on him. I just fell on him. That's all that did. He tripped. Guys, courage is not being without fear. It's just being willing to do what we're supposed to do in spite of being afraid. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, listen, guys, don't back down. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Because that's how God has designed us to be. And the last thing he said here was, be strong. Why? Why would Paul need to say something so obvious? Because he wanted to remind them that there is no room for weakness. There's no room for complacency. There's no room for doubt. There's no room for fear. There's no room for weakness. I love, this was almost my next testosterone verse. It's my life verse from Joshua chapter 1. There's two verses here. He says this about being strong. 
Joshua writes, be strong and courageous, God said to him, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Can you think of a better man verse than that? Be strong and courageous. Your God that you serve and that you love and that you are committed to will be with you wherever you go. And when I think of that, it just, it just brings a, a, a welling of, of a feeling of strength and, and security to my heart that God commits to his people in this kind of a way. God committed to Joshua. Joshua had an incredible task in front of him. Joshua was going to have to go in and, and wage conquest war, siege warfare, and, and clearing the land, the promised land of all these people who were entrenched in there. Some of them were huge people. Remember, they went up to scout the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're 6'5", 280 in there with shoulder pads and helmets. How are we going to go in there and take those people? And God says, listen, just be strong and courageous, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of the same thing. I had to read the story twice when I did because I couldn't believe that these men would be like this. But in his book, One Crowded Hour, author Tim Bowden talks about um, the warfare that was going on between Malaysia and Indonesia. After World War II, somewhere in and around the time of the Korean War, British officers were trying to recruit some involvement from a group of fighters known as the Gurkhas. They were from Nepal. They were little guys, but they were just tough as nails. These guys were heralded as great warriors. And they wanted to see if they could get them on their side to help wage warfare against Indonesia. And these guys came with with several companies of their men to help in in the fight. He wanted to know, the British officer did, if they would be willing to jump out of a military transport to engage the enemy. And at first, they refused. They said, no, we don't know anything about jumping out of planes. We're not trained for that. We'll not do that. And the night went on. The next morning, the Gurkha commander came and said that they had reconsidered, but they needed to understand three different things about doing this new maneuver for them. One is that they would, if they would try to drop them over swampy or marshy ground, they would want that. Secondly, The plane would have to fly as slow as possible. And thirdly, they would have to release them from 100 feet. And the British officer said, listen, uh, that's impossible. We can't do that because if if we release you from 100 feet, then the parachutes will not have time to deploy. You'll you'll fall. He said, we'll have parachutes? Well, we'll jump from anywhere with parachutes. Let me tell you, this is the people you want in a fight with you. They're willing to jump out of a slow-moving airplane at 100 feet to go get the enemy? These are my kind of guys. How could you lose with people like that? Guys, be strong. Have courage. When I read, I read it again to think, did that really happen? And I even looked it up on Snoops and tried to, to find it. Surely this, this was made up, but this actually has verification. The Gurkhas really got around the campfire that night and talked about it. Can you believe that? How that went, that conversation, they, they want us to jump out of planes. Well, I don't know. Can they fly low at least? And have us jump into a swamp or something? Yeah, let's do that. So they're strapping on their guns and putting their knife in their teeth and jumping out of a plane. They were ready to do that. 
crazy. Imagine if the church of God, of Christian men, could attack their responsibilities with that kind of passion and with that kind of courage. You're not going to attack my family because I'm willing to jump out of a plane to, to defend them. I'm willing to go to the mat at my job and in my, in my sphere of influence so that people could know about the God that I serve. If we had that type of, and can we use this word, fanaticism a little bit? I mean, crazy courage to the point of just fanaticism. Imagine what God could begin to do in and through us. Paul was in an all-out call-out to the men of his day to stand firm in their faith, to, to not back down, to be men of courage, to be alert and on their guard, and to be men of strength. Guys, this is the truth in the Scripture. Men are identified as leaders. There are some brief areas in the New Testament where it speaks of women as leading, but they are few. Men are called upon to lead. Now, I'm not trying to be sexist. Don't go home and tell your wives that the pastor was there and he was bashing women. I'm not doing that. I'm saying this, is that we need to live up to the design that God gives to us. Events like this help remind us of what is at stake for us and the type of men we need to be. We will be alert to all that is going on around us and we will be ready for the fight because we are in a fight and we will not back down from our faith we will be men of faith we will not be ashamed to read the Bible we will not be ashamed to pray we will not be ashamed to worship we will not be ashamed to sing we will not be ashamed to pray with our wives and lead in prayer with our kids we will not be ashamed to talk about scripture because that's what men of faith do and we will be courageous and if other men back down we will not we will stay the course We will be strong and courageous for God is going to be with us wherever we go. And we are going to remain strong and committed because this day and age needs men who will do precisely that. And I hope that you will continue to be men like that. I'm not trying to start you there because I know many of your testimonies and I know the men of Fellowship Chapel, Fellowship Fellowship Bible Church. Sorry, I got it mixed up there. I know that you guys stay by this stuff and I'm just trying to encourage you to continue being that way and I hope your tribe increases because we need you here to do and be precisely those things let's pray Father you challenge us in your word and, and we are grateful for it my goodness when you, when you let the apostle Paul unleash on the people of Corinth there in the last couple of verses of that book it, it stirs us boy does it stir us Lord, help us to be and take up the challenge of, of leading as men in this day and age. People are falling away. Help us not to be among them. Lord, give us the strength and the ability to do it. We can't do it on our own. We desperately need you. And I thank you for Fellowship Bible Church, and I pray your blessing upon these men and these leaders in this place, that you will continue to use them to be a force for righteousness in their sphere of influence right here in this area and in areas beyond. Lord, I pray that you would use them in great ways in this year and years to come. 
And may you receive all of the glory because you are worthy to receive it. And we pray this, Father, in your name. Amen.